Hello, hello, welcome to the Hot Stop Society Kitchen Show, Cooking Show. Well, that's what we call it, right? I'm Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat, and we are live. Well, we are live, but not necessarily everybody's live, but we are live at the Hotel Entra at the Hot Stop Society Cooking School here, this marvelous place where if you ever want to increase your knowledge in cooking, this is the place to come. For sure. Very comfortable, very approachable and super educational. So I would advise, and if you have a few hours to spend with a friend, family member, then you want to please, that's the place to come. And I'm Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat, as I said, but uh, uh, a host of uh, Grand Value is actually in Hawaii. Mr. Tom Douglas. Tom, how are you doing? Aloha. Aloha, Chef Rotiro. How are you, sir? I'm fabulous. Are you kidding? I'm looking forward to this Beautiful weekend coming up, Valentine's Day, you know. I'm a lover, so... (laughs) A lover, not a fighter. I'm a lover, not a fighter. And uh, yes, I love that weekend coming up. I'm looking forward to uh, be in the kitchen with my lovely one and uh, make her some goodies. Make us some goodies, because... Don't tell yet, because we're going to talk about that later. Oh, we're going to talk about it during Mm -hmm. the show, okay. What else do we have on the show, Pam? Uh, Well, we're celebrating Super Bowl... And I've, I've got to use Tom's uh, line, nacho or average snack. <laughs> um, do you know, no, Tom's favorite line is, do you know what they call them nachos? Tom, why do they call them nachos? Because they're not yours. Because they're mine. <laughs> and we're doing Valentine breakfast. Ideas to start the day with your sweetie. And then we're rolling right into ideas for Valentine's dinner. Sure. Because uh, cooking together is very romantic. Right. We're going to talk. Well, it could be. <laughs> yeah, or it could. <laughs> this could be the beginning or the end. <laughs> and we're going to do a lot of Hawaii talk, including yeah. some talk about chocolate, because Tom bought some cacao pods while he was over there. Nice. And, yeah. Real pod, like the big pod? Like the yeah, whole pod? The whole pod. Wow. With the beans inside. They have nice. them in the market now. And, of course, we're going to um, play trivia with our guests. <laughs> That's going to be exciting. <laughs> they did not know until now they were going to be tortured. <laughs> oh, I asked. They were willing. Okay. And, uh, but first, you two are going to talk about your taste of the week. That's right. Tom, I'll start. Uh, okay. I, made a, uh, um, I found some uh, goat meat on the bone, uh, cut in about, you know, about an inch cube, and I made a wonderful... Well, I'm not going to say wonderful because he's going to tell me, oh, of course you made it, it's wonderful. But I made a uh, goat stew with lots of beautiful spices, cumin, coriander, hasela nut, um, and cooked that very gently. You know, I didn't, I didn't brown the meat. I just put the meat in a pan on a white, foamy, blonde butter, give them a little bit of coloring before I put the spice, obviously, and then, and then add the spice, caramelized onion. I put the onions in there. I put carrots and... Um, or zest of orange and lemon. Oh, that's a great idea. And then I put the whole thing covered and cook it very slowly for about uh, two and a half hours. And it came out juicy. And oh, at the, towards the end, I put a little bit of white wine and then let it, let it simmer like this and makes up nice little jus kind of I mean, sauce. It was more like a sauce, like a, you know, a little bit thicker. It was so beautiful. And then I made a couscous uh, on the side, just oh, a that's quick couscous brilliant. with... Uh, Raisins and uh, a more or more citrus uh, and so a little bit of uh, harissa mixed in it, a lot of olive oil. Oh my God, Almighty! That was so delicious. What I, kind of goat was it? It was the you couldn't tell what pieces of the goat that was. Okay, it was. But meat. it was 
It was on the there was bones around the meat, the piece the meat pieces. So basically, they're taking probably my guess is the bottom of the rack and the and all those places the legs and everything, and they're cutting them, chopping them, literally in small cube. And it was frozen. I bought it frozen, so I thawed it out, pat it dry, and then season it, and then uh, put it in the pan. And then I put the spice that I wanted into the pot, let that cook slowly. Oh, nice. yeah, not something you want on the beach at 85 degrees because that's a bit hot, but it was great in Seattle at 40 degrees. <laughs> I think Tom's taste is going to be a little different. What you got, Douglas? Yeah, for sure. Pamela, when you were here with me this week, uh, we made a salad that I really liked, and it was kind of a fun little aloha salad. It was the scoops of avocados, scoops of ripe papaya, chunks of crispy cucumbers, uh, and then we just made a little shiso dressing with the fresh shiso leaf, which are from the mint family, but they don't taste anything like mint. Uh, and, and then a, a little cider vinaigrette over top. But the, the, what really kind of brought it together was that we had those leftover toasted shallots that we had made for a different salad and threw those in with that particular salad. I love that combination. I mean, if you go out to Vietnamese restaurants, you get toasted shallots on pretty much everything. Right. Uh, but love it. I don't normally put them in a cold salad. I hadn't really thought about it for that, from that perspective. And they work beautifully. Yeah, if they're nice, it, it's usually better the next day when, when you make Fried shallots, you keep, you always make too much anyway. But that's usually when you, when they're better for use for salad is when they're the next day when they're really well drained and cold and they're crispy, you know, and it makes a nice mm-hmm. texture and a beautiful flavor. And it was delicious. I, I really enjoyed that salad. I don't often go back for seconds on salads. I'm more of a, like a second piece of chicken kind of guy, but it was delicious. I went back for seconds and thirds. Cool. <laughs> I'm surprised. That good ocean air had you craving those flavors. And Pamela, uh, I'm not sure how much time we have, so you guys will have to keep me up to date on that. But did you have a favorite? Uh, I know you got some pokey when you were here. You got all, all sorts of Hawaiian things. I liked that um, sweet potato Korean noodle dish that Joan did for us. Oh, yeah, the Korean. Um, what do they call those sweet potato kind of glass noodles? Glass I noodles out of sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. good. What was the spice in there? What did they... Uh... It was... Uh, Mushroomy and oily, oh, really wow. nice. That, I think that's my takeaway. It wasn't the lobster at the canoe house, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. We went to the Jerry, big- we had to we had to send back an eighty dollar lobster uh, for dinner because it was you know they grow them here on the island, but it was all mushy. And typically for me, when you get a mushy lobster or a mushy prawn, it means that the head was left on Correct. too long, and the enzymes yeah. from the head kind of. Uh, mushed out the body meat. So, uh, yeah, they had an issue with that. Oh, my God. That's too bad. But they should have not sent it in the first place. <laughs> yeah. But your Wagyu steak uh, looked pretty tasty. Yeah, it was, it was very delicious, and uh, we had a good time. Our our 20, uh, we're, we can't quite figure it out, 28th or 29th year of having a one big night out at the canoe house at the Monolani. <laughs> nice pretty spectacular that is very spectacular the canoe house is good yeah. that's a nice yeah. place to go i like that and i like mama's yep. fish house too i'm Maui. coming up we're going to talk about nachos which is probably one of my uh favorite subject because you've never I, had i'm em. just kidding i'm kidding <laughs> no we have them no no we have them my wife lo- kathy loves nachos oh okay good then you can speak to the subject i can speak to the simplicity of why i like her nachos because i like things that are Simple when I don't know, when, I know, when it's not part of my culture. 
I like to be introduced to something that's, you know, making sense. And the way she makes them is really simple and very delicious. All right. We look forward to hearing about it. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Cairo 97.3 FM here on the Hot Stove Society radio show. <laughs> All right. We are back at the Hot Stove Society kitchen. We are here live in Seattle while Tom is in Hawaii. Ooh. Um, Bathing, bathing and sun, sunbathing and all that stuff. Have you been in trouble yet, Mr. Douglas? Only with, uh, only with people mistaking me for a humpback whale. They tried <laughs> to harpoon me. <laughs> that joke is we'll keep on going forever, Tom. All right, let's, let's talk about nachos. So I'll start by telling you what I like about nachos because since I'm, it's going to be a very short subject for me. <laughs> uh, you know, nice little tortillas and... Um, Cut into nachos and then uh, some beautiful cheese melted on top. Baked in the oven for a few minutes till everything is totally melted. A little bit of green onion and then a garnish of guacamole and salsa. Very simple. That's what I know about nachos. That's how I like my wow, nachos. Wow, that is clean. Yeah, that's the way I like it. Simple. Well, it's not. I, I, I think it's mistakenly. Uh, I think it's the same subject for me. It's the same objection to want to try to make that into a meal. Or just like pizza. You don't make pizza into a meal. You make pizza as a snack. Not Oh, boy. I think this is going to turn into a battle. What's, <laughs> what say you, Mr. Douglas, on your nachos? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not going to Chef Terry's house for the Super Bowl. I can tell you that. that well, we have different team that playing, is not too. My idea. So. <laughs> yeah. That, not my idea of nachos. So there's a couple of tricks. Uh, you know, we have uh, the Cantina Lania restaurant, which is one of our only ones that's not quite reopened yet. Uh, but uh, we learned some tricks there when we were doing nachos every day. Uh, and honestly, the number one seller was our Cadillac nachos, which was nachos with everything. And to me, that's a little bit goopy. I can't handle it. But my daughter loves that, that particular preparation with the uh, – the kind of pork riette type thing, Sherry, if I could yep. explain it in your language, uh, yep. on top, crispy pork, uh, pulled pork that's been crispened in its own fat and put on top of the nachos. But there's a couple of real simple tricks that make you more successful in the nacho world. Uh, one is uh, take, even if you buy uh, store-bought tortillas, the corn tortillas, fry them yourself first. They just come off so much fresher than using chips out of a bag. So there's one tip. Um, secondly, I would say when you're serving, one of the things that bugs me most about nachos is that within two minutes, they chill off and all the cheese coagulates and uh, you end up with this big kind of gross sticky pile. And I don't like that. Uh, and so uh, to me, one of the, the tricks is to use a big cast iron pan, get it nice and hot and build your nachos in there. And what happens is the cast iron pan retains the heat so that your nachos stay warmer a whole bunch longer, right. let's say, that compared to a cookie sheet or something like that where you might want to spread them out. Right. Okay, so there's there's two tricks. Uh, and then the third trick is when you're making your cheese sauce, use uh, sodium citrate in it. So I pulled up a recipe from, uh, from Modernist Cuisine of all places, right. uh, which is it's got sharp cheddar, uh, sodium citrate, some water, some milk, and some jalapenos. And what the citrate does is it keeps your, your cheese sauce silky. It doesn't want to coagulate the same way. And to me, what I hate about nachos is when you've got all that kind of unmelted cheese by the time you get to it. So 
this way it's a little bit more Velveeta like. You know how that uh, like a right, commercial right. cheese sauce is that really it probably has no dairy in it at all, but it's a commercial cheese sauce and it just doesn't stiffen up. So when you're making a cheese sauce, um, look up online and try and get some sodium citrate in your in your kitchen. It's a perfectly natural product and it's the it's the trick to making a kind of creamy, runny cheese sauce and having it stay that way. You could also make a, a nice little bechamel with a lot of cheese in it <laughs> and then drizzle no, that you over your chips. That would be good. <laughs> no, no, you can't. Wait Nobody a minute. What do you know? Why are you guys mocking me? This is, this is a French-Mexican dish. It's called bechamel Nobody nachos. Nobody on their nachos. Bechamel, bechamel nachos. Okay, never mind. Uh, no, but that, that could be an idea. I mean, talking about not breaking the cheese, which is the biggest problem when you bake with cheese. It's always separating if you use too much heat or whatever. So, yeah, if you, if you were making a bechamel with a nice little uh, nice cheese in there, you'd have a beautiful flavored tortilla. I mean, why not? Okay, that is, that is a pro tip especially if you're gonna use chef. Especially if you're going to use pulled chicken or pulled pork, you know, to add to that. That would be a great, that would be a great little... You know, if you want to get that crazy with your nachos, that would be good. I like the pulled chicken version the Seattle Times had today. That uh, Everybody usually goes pork or beef, but I, chicken's a good idea, too. And then uh, in Martha Stewart, she had a, a vegetarian version with a lot of black beans yeah. and peppers on their nachos. See, what I would do is... And that needs some cheese sauce. <laughs> I, I, would do, I would do caramelized butternut squash with what? black bean... <laughs> No, as a, as a vegetarian, caramelized butternut squash with black beans. On your nachos? On my nachos, but why nah. not? Well, the nachos is, is becoming the vessel. I mean, let's be honest. Where, where do we go from here? I mean, it's like you're putting chicken, duck, yeah, whatever. Let's, uh, you could Jeff, do anything you want. Can I jump in want. for a second? Yeah. Let's be honest. Let's, uh, let's just not do that. Let's, uh, <laughs> nobody wants butternut squash nachos. Let's well, go over to chicken wings. Even me. So, even even mind, Pam. <laughs> Uh, do we in have my time mind, um, to do wings? Do we have time for some chicken wings? Yeah. Uh, make a dredge. Take your wings. Make a dredge. I like to cut them in, in chunks, like the drumette and the, and the wing uh, arm, and then uh, I dredge them in fifty percent cornstarch, fifty percent rice flour. Give them a deep fry uh, until they're completely done, and then my little aloha trick is to take QP mayonnaise, which is a Japanese kind of sweet mayo. Mix it with some sriracha, so you got sweet hot, right. and then uh, kind of drizzle that over top of your fried wings, and then finish with furikake. And furikake Whoa. is a, oh, wow. yeah. a seaweed shake, basically, a seasoning mix that comes in all sorts of different flavors. Sometimes it's got bonito in there. Sometimes it's got egg. I just like, for this, the plain furikake, which is seaweed and sesame seed, a little bit of dried spice. Uh, shake it over top, and you have beautiful kind of aloha wings for your uh, Super Bowl party. Wow. Nice touch. Nice touch. Nice little <laughs> poke I did to that, and then uh, you'd have some wonderful Hawaiian uh, nachos. No, that's cool. And I, I, like, I like how you went Japanese on me. That's cool. I like that. Do you eat wings, Terry? Yes, I like, I like wings, but I, I'm uh, not too, too crazy hot, but I like, uh, yes. I, you know one of my favorite wings in the world? And I've had a few, but not too many. Is the palace? Oh, I miss those chicken happy, wing at the palace kitchen. Memory. Those are pretty what damn good. What chickens were those, Tom? That we used at the palace? How do you do the wings at the palace? Yeah, uh, it's a marinade. It's mostly Tabasco, 
it's got soy sauce, garlic, uh, and that's pretty much it there. And then uh, the trick to the ones at the palace is we cook them over a wood fire. Yeah. And then once they're once they're really cooked, I mean they're fall off the bone kind of cooked. Then we firm them back up by putting them on a a cast iron griddle pan and letting them sear up so that the skin refirms up. So wow. And we take some of the marinade and you have to cook it right. Is the raw chicken's been in there so. We take some of the marinade, cook it, boil it, and then pour it over top. They are spicy, smoky, delicious wings. Mm, that's miss, why you miss them. <laughs> I miss those wings. Yeah. All right, coming up next, Tom, we're going to be talking about breakfast for your Valentine. I hope you're, uh, you're going to get some pineapple already and some mangoes. <laughs> there you you're, go. All right, you're listening to the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo 97.3 FM. We'll be right back. We are back at the Hot Stove Society kitchen. Thank you so much for staying with us. Uh, Tom, in Hawaii, are you going to be back for Valentine's Day? I am. I'm coming back. Uh, my flight is actually during the Super Bowl on, uh, on Sunday. So Cool. I hope they have giant screen in first class for you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't, uh, I'm not the biggest Super Bowl fan unless the, the mighty Seahawks are playing. So I'm all good. Okay, good. So we're going to talk Valentine's breakfast for your sweetie. So I already know that um, I, I can, again, I can take that because mine is not as long as probably yours. But the two favorite things that I like to do for well, a few things. But the number one thing is a good cup of coffee. Nice a start. Good, a good pastry because you start light, you know, like a croissant or something like that. And warm. Uh, I know that uh, a good croissant doesn't necessarily need to be warm, but usually... You get it the day before or you get it the morning of, and it's still, you know, it still needs a little heat. Um, and then a little jam next to that. That's the first step. And then the next step is, of course, the more savory breakfast of making like a nice sauteed mushroom omelette with a little bit of cheese. Something not too heavy. And have a nice little uh, piece of, you know, ground, I mean, of, uh, of uh, toast, you know, country bread, beautifully toast, and... A little butter, because with butter, it's always better. <laughs> All right. That sounds delicious. So, you know, and, and then, of course, a little mimosa with that would be delicious because it's Valentine's Day. Let's celebrate. I forgot about the mimosa for breakfast. Well, you need, you need bubbles for <laughs> Valentine's Day. It's a special day. And, uh, you know, mimosa is if you have that uh, sparkling. But I have some very decent older champagne that I might actually pop for that day. Wow. Like a nice magnum of Baron, I mean of uh, Cayuse. Uh, Christophe Baron makes a uh, champagne from France. The wine- I didn't know they did bubbly. He has a, he has a winery in, in Champagne, and he makes champagne. And I'm, I have a magnum of his champagne in my cellar. And I'm like, this would be the perfect day to open that. Wow. Because you start in the morning, you open the magnum, and then you throughout the day, uh, it's two bottles Little of champagne. Sips. So, I mean, it's no big deal between two people. <laughs> You know, whole day. We might stop by and get a glass. Uh, we get a stop early, though. <laughs> Tom, what are you going to make for Valentine's Day breakfast? Uh, well, my wife uh, loves caviar, so I'm going to make ah, a yes. take, uh, a waffle, and I'm going to make it as light on the sugar as possible in the in the batter. So, just a typical waffle batter, maybe sourdough, uh, maybe buckwheat waffle, something like that, and then I'm going to uh, Mix in something savory like some cooked wild rice into the batter. 
maybe a couple of uh, green onions, a uh, mint in there, and then and now I've got a, a rice, a wild rice and onion waffle, and then I'm on top. I'm going to put beautiful, silky uh, strips of wild salmon locks. Mm. Uh, so that uh, you kind of just layer, maybe make little wedges out of the waffle, put a big, beautiful layer of wild salmon on that. And then on top of there, I've uh, snuck in a trip to Seattle Caviar and doing a little bit of the Farm Dose Cetra Caviar that is uh, one of your favorites, Terry. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we're going to yes, put a little please. dollop of uh, creme fraiche and caviar right on top of the lox. So you end up with this kind of savory toasty green onion waffle uh the wild rice gives it some texture and then the the fish and the caviar on top that's what i'm doing wow that's nice and yes uh, I, thought, gonna... I thought you were going to make some pancakes or some savory pancakes <laughs> with some green onions and uh but no you went the caviar style man that's cool i'm, I'm liking that well if i'm going green onion pancakes and i'm going chinese style so then i'm going to make a, a classic green onion pancake we make them all the time at the hot stove they're delicious Uh, and then you can put anything on top, uh, literally. You know, you can make a little dim sum breakfast. You know, my favorite dim sum uh, ingredients are like the lobako, which is the daikon radish and rice flour cake, or the normai gai, which is uh-huh. that beautiful, glutinous, sticky rice that's uh, wrapped. Uh, it has a little lupchong Chinese sausage in the center and then wrapped in a lotus leaf uh, and steamed so that it gets that fragrance from the lotus leaf. Uh, a little shumai with the shrimp and pork filling and cod row on top um, there's all it'd be so fun to make uh, your family or your honey or whoever uh, a beautiful homemade dim sum breakfast yeah and if you ever want to uh, honestly if you ever want to learn how to make dim sum annie you know the chef there who's so feisty does a beautiful dim sum class at the hot stove yeah so that's that you know what that's one class i would love to take because i'm not as fluent as i would like to be in dim sum knowledge and i think it's i love eating it But and I definitely don't know. Up, yeah, with great recipes all every the tricks, time. Because I mean, and it's a great way to engage everybody in the house too. I mean, um, engage engage your wife with you doing it, or your wife with you with your wife, and to be able to have a nice party making all those different dishes because that's a it can be a little bit of time, and you know if you start getting creative and making all kind of different things, it can be time consuming. So nice to have a team. The teamwork. thing about it when you're When you're doing it, though, uh, and with a lot of cooking, you know, the chef uh, is that let's say you're making spring rolls for your dim sum party or you're making pop stickers, you know, spend the day, make a big batch. And now you've got enough for uh, two or three parties because they freeze beautifully. So uh, maybe you want to have dim sum a couple of times this month. So just make enough for both. So you've got one that took a lot of effort and the next one poof, right out of the freezer and you've got a dim sum breakfast within 30 minutes. Yeah, that sounds good. Mm. I was thinking when you were start when when you're going that route with the green uh, pancake, I was like the green onion pancake. I'm like, oh, you know what? Duck confit would be delicious on top of that with a nice yeah. sunny side up egg on top. Oh, yeah, that would be great. That would make a nice little breakfast. That would be yummy. That's that's if you're more hungry. It's more like the ten o'clock breakfast. You know, it's like you've been up since seven uh, o'clock and uh, you've had the croissant, you've had the coffee, and by ten o'clock you're like. I need to eat something. And that's, the, that's when you make those nice little, a little bit heavier and, you know, breakfast. But duck confit green onion pancake, oh, that would be delicious. With that egg on top, little sea salt to finish the whole thing, 
and some nice country bread, well, well, well toasted. So you can do a little bit of like transfer from the plate to the bread. Have this light little open tartine of duck confit and egg. Ooh la la. Sounds disgustingly good. Mm. Here in Jeff, the stu- uh, when you do your sunny side up eggs, do you like to do them in butter or something so that when you <laughs> when you cook the egg, I like to cook them in a pretty hot pan so that my my whites kind of crisping up and brown around the edges before the yolk gets cooked at all. Yeah, and you have to you have to really do that. There's some eggs out there, sunny side up eggs that you get in many restaurants, and they put them in a little pan and they set them on the kind of the side of the heat. So that eventually they coagulate, but there's never any crisp or brown or searing going on. And I yeah. really like uh, when they get a little crunch. Yeah, no, I like the crunch. I, I like. I don't start with a cold pan. I start with a medium heat to slow, low heat. I mean, a medium to high heat pan with the butter. And the butter is definitely brown by the time I drop my egg in there. So the outside, right. yeah. the outside of the white becomes like a... Like a wafer, wafer or whatever you call that, like a... a thin, lacy like Lacy, edge. lacy, that's what it becomes, you know, lacy and crispy. And then, um, but what I do, the first thing is when I put the egg in the, in the pan, the first thing I do is I take a spatula and I move the white in a circle shape so the yolk ah. is actually staying in the center by itself and doesn't cook as fast as the white. So by the time I move the egg up on top of my duck confit, you know, in the pancake... My egg yolk is still runny. It's cooked, yeah. it's That's cooking, but it's still runny. But you want it that way. You want, you don't want the egg to be cooked all the way. That's anyway a hoozing egg yolk on top of duck confit. I think <laughs> I think I've said it like three times now. And I'm, now I'm getting really hungry. <laughs> oh, oh, and now we're going to move on to dinner. Yeah, so let's break. let's talk about coming up next. We're going to start talking about making Valentine's dinner after having this little egg confit. <laughs> Whatever. All right, you're listening to us on the Hot Stop Society show on Cairo 97.3 FM. We are back in the kitchen at the Hot Stop Society show. We are here at the Hotel Andra at the Hot Stop Society cooking school. Mr. Douglas Pride and uh, Pride and what? Just Pride. It's a beautiful cooking school. Pride I, I, and joy. I enjoy it. Here we go. That's the other word I was looking for. We're going to talk Valentine's dinner. So what do we make for Valentine's dinner? So um, I also want to reiterate, Tom, that I used to always say, um, I used to do this show, you know, when I used to do the show, What's Left in Your Fridge? I used to always say for single guys, I don't know why I say single guys. It could be single girls too. But if you have a date on Valentine and, you know, you want to be sure that uh, the other half doesn't leave halfway through the meal because it's disgusting or because you're not scoring good, you need to um, have always in the freezer a pound of shrimp, a can of tomato in the cupboard, whole tomato, um, and the day of you buy some garlic and some basil. Of course, you have some olive oil too. And some uh, dry pasta. And you make a nice little shrimp, tomato, garlic, basil pasta. And that's not very complicated. Tomatoes compli- on shrimp? I'm oh, uncertain. heck Yes? Yes. Yeah, it's more Mediterranean style. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, olive oil, a little bit of uh, diced tomato into a pan. You can just saute that quickly on the side. Once the tomato is nicely cooked down, just add your chopped garlic. So you don't want to cook the garlic too far. I want to taste that garlic. So I don't want to cook it all the way down and burn it or whatever. I just want to put it in the tomato sauce and then all that julienne basil, lots of julienne basil. And keep that on the side. 
Seal your shrimp on the side of that. So take the pan, the same pan, after you remove the tomato sauce, clean it up, and seal your, your um, shrimp on both sides, and then just cook it very quickly on both sides, and then drop it into your tomato sauce, or drop the tomato sauce on top of it, and then gently cook it for another couple of minutes. So then you finish to cook the shrimp, the whole thing is cooked together, and then drop that right on top of your pasta, and then a nice bottle of wine or champagne, and Nobody's leaving that room. Nobody's leaving. Nobody's leaving. You know, if you could even grate, you could even grate a little bit of cheese on top, some nice old Parmesan for the day of. Now you're breaking another rule, fish and cheese. Well, yes, but (laughs) tomato pasta with shrimp shrimp. can stand up to it. Correct. That's that's, uh, one of the, it's not seafood. To me, it's more like fish with cheese. I have a problem with that. (laughs) Seafood, you know, shellfish, some of the shellfish can hold it. Tom, what are you going to make for dinner for... And by the way, this is for the single people so who want to try to have a date and not let the other half go away. <laughs> okay. Right? Chef Terry, uh, if I'm coming to your house for Valentine's, I don't think I would leave you after cooking the shrimp pasta. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any plan for Valentine's? You're going to cook with Jackie? Or I you don't just... know. Well, you know, I'm in the Aloha spirit right now. Uh, uh, our house is looking out over the ocean. I'm watching a couple of humpback whales breach. And there's some beautiful uh, Hawaiian uh, turtles here, which you're not allowed to cook because they're endangered. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't cook the turtles. Thank you. And yesterday, um, as we were looking at the tide pools, Miss Hinkley knows that we were seeing sharks and blowfish and needle needlefish. And uh, we wow. saw some really stringy worms and... Uh, so there's just a bevy of things to maybe uh, uh, there's a oh, huge uh, big eel uh, was down there. So uh, how about a little sushi supper? I think uh, one of the nice things about uh, sushi is that you can take the time to make it yourself. Right. Or um, I would go uh, to Tai Chi's place over there on East Lake and I would just call them or I would go down to call Kashiba makes a beautiful to go sushi box. Uh, I think it's a hundred bucks, which is I know pricey, but it's Valentine's, and if it's, I think it's uh, if you split the box between the two of you, now you're down to fifty bucks a person. Uh, just you can order these gorgeous sushi platters right now from all these restaurants around town, and uh, you know for many people they're not comfortable going out to restaurants yet, or uh, Valentine's night is too busy. Uh, but order a sushi box to go, just uh, go pick it up, bring it home, and uh, spread it out onto some platters, and then think about maybe a little side salad to go with it. Uh, one of the, my favorites at a Japanese restaurant is ohitashi, which yeah. is kind of the steamed spinach with sesame sauce. So maybe a little ohitashi and some uh, of the little uh, cultivated Japanese mushrooms would be uh, great, some grilled eggplant. Uh, make up a few little sides and let the let the sushi chef do the work for you. I think that'd be really fun and beautiful and I think uh, sushi dinner is very romantic. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I also think uh, a nice little crab salad with grapefruit and citrus, you know, at, as, at the beginning of a meal. Or make that a meal. You know, remember, you're not trying to feed an army, and this is a, a date night. So, uh, you know, you don't want to be, like, so full. It's not Thanksgiving. You don't want to feel, you don't want to feel that <laughs> you way. You want to keep it light. Right. So you so can dance afterwards. You want to keep it safe, light, and delicious, Right. So you want to keep it and, and romantic, of course. So it's more important to have the champagne, the candles, and the 
attitude towards wanting to please versus trying to be uh, Tom Douglas in the kitchen. <laughs> Making I mean, it overly rich. <laughs> you don't want to. No, but I'm, my point is like, try to keep it simple. So a good cra- you know, get a good Dungeness crab, pick the meat out. Oh, buy the meat already picked. You know, it's going to be more expensive. But again, it's Valentine's Day. You're not. And then go to see Del uh, Chero at uh, Seattle Caviar and buy some caviar. And do a nice little crab and caviar salad, simple, little grapefruit segments, you know, maybe some cucumber, mix the whole thing together and put that underneath, you know, put your crab on top, simple, and a nice bottle of champagne, and then a cake. I mean, have a piece of cake or something, because uh, now you have a very light meal, you know, you can't afford to have a little dessert. I, what about the classic combo of buttery scallops and mashed potatoes? Mm. Isn't That's that so a classic? Oh. And that would be light and pretty. Some uh, yeah, you just have to seal some dry scallop. You find dry scallop, and you have to seal them correctly. And then that—that's another um, nice. Well, give little. me some tips. Uh, so nice tip. First, buy. Try to find dry scallop. So go to places. What does like, that mean? Dry scallop is a scallop that has not been soaked in a sodium solution, so it's not plump and it's not losing water. You know, when you go buy scallop, if the the tray that you're looking at is full of water on the bottom. That means then that scallop has been soaked in sodium um, solution, which is, it makes it plumper and heavier. They're sold by the pound. So the fishermen or the people who process that have an interest in making it heavier. <laughs> so they put in a sodium solution, which is swallowed by the scallops, making it heavier, and then, what? Do you see it in the fish market that way? Oh, yeah. Dry, I mean? Oh, yeah, dry scallop exists. Like if you go to mutual fish... They will have it that they way. They will have dry scallops. And, and it's easy to spot. Like I said, you just look at the tray. If there is a lot of water on the bottom, you know, it's a lot of juice. Why juice? It's because the sodium is coming out. So the, the sodium solution. Anyway, um, dry scallop and then hot pan. The pan is to be hot. So take your scallop, envelop them in a nice little... I, what I do is I envelop my scallop in a little bit of olive oil, season them a little bit, just salt. And then I make my pan really, really, really hot. Then I take my scallop, which are, you know, they have this coat of olive oil, and I put it down on, in the pan, and I don't touch it. I let it have that nice little scre- crispy little uh, side that you want to it. You know, basically, a beautiful scallop is a golden crispy scallop on the outside, and of course, sweet, like, like beautiful sweetness in the inside. So how you achieve that is by doing that. You keep it for about 20 seconds on one side, a hot pan. Add a little bit of olive oil so it crisps up really nicely, and then flip it right back on the other side, and let it cook on that side as well. And within one minute, minute and a half, you have a gorgeous scallop. You can remove them from the pan, change your pan, whatever, because that oil is gone. And then from that, you can do whatever you want. You can put it on top of your uh, pureed, uh, whatever you do. What were you potatoes. doing? Potatoes. Potatoes, mashed potato. Mashed potato. So you do a you know, nice mashed potato. It's one pound of yellowfin potato and a three-quarter pound of butter, and then a little bit of cream reduced. If you're going to make it my way, this is the way you're going to have it. You know what? You don't eat that by the shovel. You eat it by the spoon. Okay. And it's one day. You're not doing that every day. So treat yourself. That's it. Well, there wasn't any butter on the scallop, so you need it in the exactly. potato. <laughs> and then it's like having a cinnamon roll. You can't have a cinnamon roll every morning for breakfast. Once in a blue moon, you treat yourself and, you know. But anyway, um, I, I'm with you that uh, you finish, you know, you put the mashed potato on the bottom, you put your scallop, and then you can make a little jus on the side 
Uh, you could do a little butter, or it's a good idea, but that's a bit much. I would do probably more like a stock reduced down, um, like a little fish stock or a little vegetable stock, reduced down all the way to like almost a glass, and then drizzle that right on top. Fresher bread on top, chives, and then you're done. Chives would make such a pretty topping. Yeah, it, it does a beautiful topping. Are you kidding? All right, so coming up next. So stay with us for the next the little break here, and then uh, when we come back, we're going to talk Hawaii, Hawaii, Hawaii from Tom Douglas's point of view. All right, stay with us. We're on uh, Cairo 97.3 FM. Woo! Okay, welcome back into the Hot Stove Society show. Yay! So nice. Thank you so much for uh, putting up with the uh, top of the hour news and information. We're back in the kitchen. We're here at the Hotel Andra at the Hot Stove Society Cooking School. Uh, Mr. Douglas Pride and Joy. And uh, if you ever want to sharpen your knowledge in the kitchen, this is a fabulous place to do it because... A lot of it is hands-on, and uh, if it's not, it's also very educational as well, and I think it's a great place to come to learn something. Thank you. There's no way you would come here without learning something, so it's a great idea. Tom, I'm Terry Rotiro, I'm the chef in the hat, and uh, Pam is our producer, and she's on the mic next to me. Mr. Tom Douglas is in Hawaii on the Big Island. And I think he's taking a swim right now. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Tom? I did just, uh, good. I just did watch a double breach of a humpback whale. So <laughs> that's very exciting uh, wow. to, to see it in the morning over here. It's always good. And uh, we're going to talk about um, your report on Hawaii with a chocolate primer. And then we'll finish with uh, the Rub With Love Tasty Trivia that we do every show. So it's going to be a nice, a nice hour. Stay with us. Yeah. So, Tom, you want to tell us well, a little uh, bit, an update on the, on the food scene in Hawaii? Yeah, let's start with the chocolate because, uh, you know, Pamela was the original marketing and sales director at Theo Chocolate yep. and uh, uh, talked me into making an investment. So we are still investors in Theo together, I believe. Pam, are you still in some with Theo? I'm way in. I doubled You're down. You're still way in. Good for you. You know, it's been interesting to learn more about cacao. And I'm going to ask Pam to kind of give us a primer, but uh, before she got here, I was in a, a natural market over here and there was a whole stack of cacao pods, which you don't often see in a produce section. Yeah. So I couldn't help but buy some. They're very beautiful, especially when they get ripe. They turn a beautiful kind of orangish, yellowish, red uh, color and they made for a nice centerpiece. Uh, I didn't think, you know, I, I mean, I knew I wasn't going to make chocolate out of them, but it was a good time to kind of... Uh, regroup and think about how the whole process goes. So uh, I saved them for Pam when she showed up and uh, immediately she cut them open. And Pam, what did you find? What do you like? And how do you make chocolate out of a raw pod? It looks a little bit like a huge uh, type of, uh, not acorn squash. It's just more elongated than acorn squash, but it's uh, a cacao pod is, is really about what? Maybe not even a pound. Mm-hmm. Well, it. um, we are so removed from the fruit that gives us chocolate in the United States because we uh, have become so accustomed to the commercial candy bars right. that it's mm-hmm. uh, hard to make that connection with the natural product. And I'm very thankful for my time at Theo and the work that they put into sourcing the cacao uh, from fair trade farmers because of 
unfortunately, in the chocolate industry, there are many farmers that are still working for very little money. Um, for very big company. For, for very big companies. And it, it takes some extra work uh, to get to the co-ops where the farmers are getting fair, fairly paid. Right. And bring their pods uh, to a cooperative, usually. And inside those pods... Um, there's this. Our, our pods were uh, a, a, a little old, and so the mucus that was in there was dried up. But many people who harvest cacao eat that white paste that surrounds the beans, and they and then you separate the beans, and they need to be dried and roasted to start turning them into chocolate. Right. So. Um, I became addicted to just eating bitter chocolate. Bitter chocolate. The the roasted beans. They're called nibs after they come out of the roasting machine, and that is the most pure expression of chocolate. Right. And, and most people are not actually in love with that kind of chocolate. No. They're much more into the sugary. Into chocolate. the sugar. And so I, we're doing a, a chocolate class tomorrow with with wine, and we're going to start with nibs. Oh, so cool. that people know the, what yeah. the fruit tastes like. The actual, the actual product tastes like at the beginning. But uh, our, the American chocolate, unfortunately, has so much sugar and milk powder and vanillin and lecithin right. that um, the flavor of the cacao is yeah. third it's, down it's, Yeah, exactly. It's diminished. <laughs> I mean, real but, cocoa in general, like when you grate ground cocoa, which is... I mean, I think ground cocoa is the closest thing to the that cocoa you get. Mm-hmm. that you can get as a, as a bitter uh, chocolate, as a real chocolate ground. Um, you know, most people, you can't take a whole spoon of that. You know, you gotta, it's a very strong, powerful spice. You know, it's, it's, not that, uh, it's not that light on flavor. So, and it's also a great savory item. You know, if you're making a mole or if you're making a, any kind of, you know, you're going to roast a piece of meat or, or even, I don't know about vegetable, but meat for sure, you can make a beautiful base with that because that bitterness and that thickness of powder turns into this gorgeous rub and you can bake and it makes a very nice, beautiful flavor, very savory. You can add spice, herbs, you know, sage is the thing that comes to mind. You know, It's beautiful with chocolate. Yeah, it's sage and chocolate, they go really well together and you put that on top of a nice roast pork or chicken and you put that in the oven and bake it that way slowly, you know, 300, 325 for a long time. And you end up with that gorgeous little beautiful flavor because the bitterness does not go away. No, when you and you it. want it. That's yeah. part of the uh, flavor profile to right. have the intensity of that chocolatiness with a, the bitter background. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, if you haven't had uh, a bitter chocolate or the real cocoa, the real chocolate, uh, go to Theo's and buy some there or, um, you know, find some in the market and try cooking with it as, a, as an ingredient of a rub or a spice. Add it as a flavor to something because I think it makes a really nice addition. I love bitters. So the, um, the trick is learning what, what ratio of cacao that you want in your chocolate bar. Many of the small arson chocolatiers are now offer 100% with no sugar. Um, the popular range, I think, for dark chocolate 
addicts is in the 75%. 72, 70, uh, yeah. yeah. But I, I tra- tried to train my palate to get all the way up to 80 Oof. and 100. Yeah. So that, That's some serious chocolate flavor right there. Small amount. Just do it a little bit at a time. But it's delicious. And what uh, do we know about white chocolate? It's not chocolate. It just has the fat. <laughs> the cocoa beans with the solids of the cacao taken out. Right. right. It's, a, it's a complete, it's a, a sugary sweet. item. Again. <laughs> but... It's okay. I mean, it's, you know, try the chocolate. Try the bitter sweet, the bitter not sweet chocolate and see what you can do with that. Um, actually, in Mexican store, you can find usually good cooking chocolate to make because they have them for mole and stuff like that. So you can find good uh, bitter chocolate. All right, coming up next, Tom, you're going to tell us a little bit more about Hawaii, what's going on down in the Big Island? All right. You stay with us. We're on the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo 97.3 FM. <laughs> All right, we are back at the Hotstow Society show. Here at the Hotel Andra at the Hotstow Society kitchen. Uh, Tom, you're in Hawaii, and we were just talking about cocoa pod and chocolate and the bitterness of chocolate, the real chocolate, before they add the sugar. Uh, what, else, what else do we have in Hawaii? It's such a land of beauty and, and bounty. It is, uh, it, it is amazing. You know, we had uh, uh, aloha, everybody. It's Tom Douglas. Uh, we had di- dinner at a friend's house uh, up in the little town of Waimea. And uh, what sometimes people don't realize about Hawaii, you see all the waves and you see the warmth and the sunshine, uh, you know, uh, on the big island. Uh, and then several of the islands, the uh, weather patterns are so different within 10 or 20 miles of each other. Uh, we always drive up to the hill town of Waimea, which is literally uh, 13 miles from the beach. Uh, so it's only really 10 miles from the beach, 13 miles from our house here. And uh, it is uh, oftentimes by the time uh, we leave here in in Kuliko, which is uh, down by the resorts and stuff, uh, it's 85 degrees. And by the time we get up the 10 miles up the hill to Waimea, it's often uh, 60 to 65 degrees. You always have to bring a jacket, and it's most always cloudy and, and cool and uh, kind of spritzy rain-wise. And it's just such an interesting set of climates over here. And if you keep going around uh, Waimea, around the coastline, you end up in Hilo, which is, you know, where we are, you get six inches of rain a year, and in Hilo, you get 200 inches of rain a year just an hour away. So uh, Hawaii is so dramatic in its in its a weatherscape that it's uh, super interesting and you can find lots of different foods uh, depending on where you're going on the island uh, as we like to do we go up to all the markets in Waimea they are jam-packed you know with uh, the COVID people are working from home they're working from the beach they're working from Waimea working from the resort uh, it's, it's interesting to see over here they've actually increased population since COVID started because of so many people working out of the office and what better place to work from from the beach? Uh, so we go up to the farmer's market. And the, uh, in our little town that we uh, inhabit, there's a great butcher shop. Uh, we've been getting some babette steaks from them. They have tons of dry-aged uh, loins. And it's all Big Island beef. So it's all grass-fed beef. Uh, and it's, uh, so it's, it's got a different texture than much of the beef that we're used to in the Seattle area, which is grain-finished at least 30 to 45 days. So we're, oh. we're doing that uh, Big Island tomatoes, you know, when we started coming here 30 years ago, you couldn't hardly buy uh, anything from the island. It was all brought in from California and, and uh, all over the place. But now they've really taken pride in, in growing their own food here. 
and it really shows. The quality is tremendous. Great avocados, tomatoes, cucumbers, pea vines, pea sprouts. There's a whole sprout farm here that's doing great. Gorgeous, uh, tall, maybe almost two to three feet tall, green onions, uh, sprouts, uh, you name it. Everything's grown here. The citrus is amazing, obviously, the tropical fruits. Uh, so the Big Island, you can build and make any sort of meal you want uh, over here, which is uh, it's awesome out of local produce. Right. I've never had a problem cooking in Hawaii. That was never an issue. You go to, like you said, you, well, go, you go to the market and it's a glut of so many different things, especially for us, it, or for me at least, certain items that, you know, you never cook with. So it's always fun to try some new things and, you know, make fruit salad with fruit that you don't normally make, you know, fruit salad right. with and stuff like that. So, and nothing beats a ripe mango for sure on, in Hawaii for sure. Well, there's, there's great things like rambutans. You know, you just serve yeah. rambutans with a knife and you cut off half the shell and you got these beautiful lychee-like fruits in the center with a, uh, with, on a pit. Uh, but when it comes to cooking with all this stuff, uh, I find in some ways the best thing to do is buy local. Like um, Pamela, was, when she was up in the town of Waimea, bought a couple of uh, hula hula chickens, right, that are off the mm-hmm. – they have these beautiful trailers that are uh, with rotisseries that are chain-driven. And you can probably put 100 chickens on one trailer – a rotisserie and it's everything's cooked over koa wood and it is they are beautifully not overly smoky but beautiful chickens and terry you and i have talked on the show over the years of like what do you do with a rotisserie chicken that you get from uh from a market right and maybe you don't eat the whole thing and you've got leftover a half a chicken and right. you pick the meat and the other night we made a spicy we took all that huli huli meat and we mixed it with an entire jar of crispy chili <laughs> and we pan fried it uh, with uh, brown uh, jasmine rice and lots of beautiful local vegetables and had a kind of a, a spicy chicken fried rice yeah that sounds what delicious a, what a nice treat that was to have yeah. uh, uh you know making we made i think four meals out of the different uh chicken parts that we had gotten from the the hula hula trailer right. so uh super fun yeah and one thing i love in hawaii is just, you know having a nice little Salad, local lettuces, and uh, make a nice little salad. Because salad, obviously, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon in Hawaii, it's pretty hot. So it's nice to have something nice and fresh, and uh, using the nuts and macadamia nuts, and trying to do all kinds of different things with that. And then the f- the fresh fruit also. It's one place where I like to put some of the fruits in my salad, my savory salad. You know, normally I'm not a big fan of that, but it's good to have the citrus, the pomelos, and all that stuff that they have is so delicious. Yeah, so many, so many uh, grapefruits and oranges and lemons and oh, you see the trees loaded with uh, fruit all over the place, and so that, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a nice treat to have. Uh, and the bananas so one too. Of the that, lots and lots and lots of bananas. Yeah, for sure. When you look at Korean cooking, uh, Terry, have you been out for um, like Korean barbecue before, where you get all the little side dishes? No. Where you get the, the meat center and then you get lots and lots of little side dishes. No, that's one, uh, cu- one cuisine I'm behind. I need to get into it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's super fun. But my point is um, when you're shopping in a market that's so plentiful with lots of things that you want to try, one of the things uh, to think about is to do it Korean style. So 
basically in a Korean restaurant, uh, they have barbecues at your at your dining table. Generally, is a barbecue Korean restaurant, and then they bring out a, a platter with maybe eight to ten bowls of little side dishes, and sometimes it's jellyfish, sometimes it's a fish cake, uh, potato salad, boiled bean sprouts, whatever it is. You know, uh, it could be anything. And that's one of the ways when you're shopping in a, in a market that has more food than you can possibly choose for your supper, think about it from that perspective. Just mm-hmm. buy enough of each little thing and then make a little dish out of, out of maybe 10 little precious nuggets that you found in the market. Uh, and then, you know, go ahead and do your, your pork shoulder or your chicken or your steak on the grill, but then complement it with all these little side dishes of yeah. tasty treats. Uh, and that's a fun way to cook, and it's a fun way to eat because you you don't get overwhelmed, and you don't mix it all, right? It's not like a big tossed salad. Right, right, right. Beautiful, beautifully presented little taste of deliciousness all the way around your, your steak dinner. Mm, I'm sold on the whole thing. I'm coming to see you, buddy. We're going to spend the weekend in Hawaii. Well, <laughs> you don't need – yeah, you can do that, but you can also go, you know, right up to a Korean restaurant. There's a good one. Uh, I, I want to call it uh, Han something, 145th in Aurora, uh, that does the, the Korean barbecue. And uh, there's another one right across the street called Old Village that does the Korean barbecue. There's so many opportunities up there on North Aurora uh, where you can experience that kind of Korean-style cooking uh, right there in Seattle. I got to think about that as a trip. Thanks I want to do that too. Thanks for the tip, Tom. All right, coming up next, we're going to keep going and talk to Tom and uh, Pam about Hawaii since it's fresh on their mind and Tom is still there. So stay with us and uh, listen to the waves on Cairo 97.3 FM. We are back in the Hot Stove Society show, and we are at the Hot Stove Society kitchen here at the Hotel Andra. Pam, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. It's lovely being with you today. And then uh, Tom is in Hawaii, and he's been telling us about some of the stories he's been encountering in the, uh, the, the items he's been seeing on the market. And Tom, we've talked about vegetables a lot and fruits. How about talking about fish? Because I believe you're on an island. I know. Aloha. <laughs> we are surrounded by fish and water and, and all the uh, loveliness that is Hawaii. We went out whale watching the other day and saw a bunch of flying fish. I've never, you know, remember Flying Fish is one of Seattle's uh, great restaurants there for a while, but I've never eaten a flying fish, so I don't know what they taste like. They uh, actually fly. They actually, I know they do. They, they fly right out of the water. It's like they, they kind of not scare you, but they're like, whoa. Like, what just happened? Um, let's talk about, you know, when you go to a grocery store here on the Big Island, and I'm sure it's the same throughout the islands, uh, the poke counters are huge, right? So right. you don't just get tuna poke. You get maybe five or six or eight different kinds of poke, from mm-hmm. crab poke to um, uh, manchong to tuna. The tuna is usually five or six different flavors. You can buy it with a sesame paste, kind of plain with the shoyu more teriyaki style, all sorts of deliciousness. So it's fun to buy a little variety of poke. But the other fish that are out there, and uh, I've caught these before, Dorado or Mahi Mahi or 
or manchong or any sort of these big, beautiful Hawaiian fish. Moon fish. They make great. They're really firm, and they make great grilling. Opa, you know, uh, the Ono. Yeah. Uh, they're really firm, and they are great for grilling. And I, uh, Pamela, we had fish tacos one night, and that was the manchong, and that was like a, a sea bass. It's probably the fattiest, flakiest of the different Hawaiian fishes. Yes, I I, I tend to like the drier ones though in in my fish tacos. I, I'm always going to opt for the mahi mahi. I I like salt the fish. strength of that flavor. That kind of fish. Also, also it's resistant, so it cooks yeah. better for that kind of purpose. You don't want to do salt taco. I think that'd be very hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> Or but, shrimp. Yeah. A shrimp taco. So, uh, you're in Hawaii. Do you make a, uh, a mango salsa or do you make a regular salsa? For me, personally, uh, I'm not a big fruit salsa person. On my, I'm not even a big, uh, I don't know how to say it. Yeah, you can make mango salsa, but I, the avocados here are beautiful. And it's hard to resist avocado salsa over a mango salsa. But maybe you... Yep. Uh, make a combination of the two. They work well together. Yeah, I think they do. I think they work well, especially green mangoes. If you can find green mangoes, you just brine them quickly and, you know, just a little rice vinegar and water and a little sugar and brine them and then you have some nice uh, green mango that you can add to your uh, avocado. You know, you can make your guacamole. Yeah, that's that's more of a slaw, right? Uh, The green mango makes more of a slaw than, say, a salsa, like a ripe mango would make a salsa. Right, more like a slaw, that would be good. But fish tacos are definitely Every a, day. a fabulous thing. You know, get a nice cold, <laughs> cold tortillas and, oh, who doesn't like that? It's simple, easy, and it's, again, it's one of those things and you should do it in Hawaii where you don't have to turn the stove on except to just turn the barbecue on outside and the grill outside and then throw your, your tortillas on there. You know, but other than that, everything else is nice and mixed together and it's a nice, that and the Mai Tai, Everybody's home. Tom, yep, you- Gary, uh, down, uh, down by the Kona Airport, there's a big aquaculture situation going on where they're growing Kona prawns, lobsters, and then you'll see when you fly in, you'll see these big kind of crazy-looking nets sticking out of the water. They're like oh, yeah. net tents. Kampachi. And that's the Kampachi farm. Right. Uh, and they're, they're growing this Kampachi, and it's a little bit similar to Hemachi that you get in the sushi Right. Uh, a sushi restaurant, but it's cleaner and it's uh, grown in uh, deep sea water so that it, it actually uh, flushes, uh, the water flushes through the net. Uh, they're closed nets, but they're they're open to the water passing through, whereas sometimes the, the fish farming that's happening in our neck of the woods uh, in the northwest is done in a static, shallow situation where, you know, the fish uh, they're, they're piled on top of each other and they, they don't get the clean flush of water all the time. Right. Uh, there's, you know, sea lights and things like that. So here they're out there, uh, they're in deep water and the, and the compache is delicious. Uh, oh. it's a little bit like, uh, if you've had Branzino, yeah. it's a little bit like that. It is very much, I think it is very much like that. It resembled that a lot. So it's a great fish to do thinly sliced, just a little bit of lime juice, a little bit of chili and then that's it. Very simple. You know, keep it very, very, very simple. A little bit of olive oil, maybe. So you're it's talking too... the raw, though, right? Yeah, raw, raw. Style. Yeah, yeah Campachi yeah. is delicious raw. And then, of course, it, do, it does grill marvelously. So it's a nice thing to put on the barbecue and, again, do a little salsa next to that. <clears throat> Have a, a nice little, you know, lunch 
with your kampachi. And uh, it's a, I think it's a beautiful fish. And again, they do a great job at that farming. It's been probably, what, 10, 15 years now they've been doing that. And they started at the beginning. Everybody was like, what? That sounds kind of weird. But it's like an umbrella upside down, kind of like what Tom explained. And very deep. And the fish is uh, almost, you know, swimming almost freely. I mean, it's got some space. And it's really a very nice system of growing this, those fishes. So it's cool. Yeah. Is that what Jackie had um, that they cooked over the hay as her Yeah, we, we have it uh, in a little kind of a, I'm not sure what culture it is. I'm going to call it Japanese because that's what it reminds me of most. But it's a little terracotta pot that had hay in the bottom and a, a little grate over the top. And so they bring it to your table with the raw compache uh, sliced thinly over on this on this little grate. And then... Uh, <laughs> At the table, unfortunately, the wind was blowing right in my direction. They light the hay. They light the hay underneath the fish, and so the idea is that uh, the hay gives a little bit of smoke, and then they use a torch on the top side of the fish to, to kind of give it a bit of cook because the hay doesn't get super hot it's to overcook it. Mm-hmm. So the torch is your your just a lightly sear, and then the hay is the light smoke, and the whole thing kind of bursts into done this in about 30 seconds uh and it was delicious it was super tasty it's a fun presentation at the table it wouldn't work indoors we were sitting outdoors <laughs> setting hay on fire at the dining room table yeah exactly but uh it was more show than go really in a funny way because the wind just kind of made the whole thing a disaster but right. uh, uh, <laughs> it's one of those where either somebody's running on fire in the kitchen or everything went well <laughs> Are you going to yeah. finish, Tom, bragging about Loretta's um, Masubi? Because I, I saw you wolf down your piece. Yeah, I did. I wolfed down two pieces. Uh, so uh, one of the traditions for us over here is our daughter Loretta makes Masubi. She loves Masubi. And so Masubi is a rice cake. And her trick is to make the rice cake a little bit thinner than what you get in a lot of stores. You know, over like in most, most cultures, rice is the main ingredient and then whatever meat or fish you have on it is a much smaller version. She kind of like, she kind of like 50, 50. So 50, 50% rice, 50% spam. And her, her trick is to make it the, what she considers the most delicious that she takes the little sriracha mayonnaise. So you make your rice cake, you kind of slather it with a little bit of sriracha mayonnaise. Then you put on your furikake, which is your seaweed, uh, um, crumble that has sesame and bonito flake in it. Then you put on a really hard seared piece of Sam. <laughs> she likes the crunchy edges. Uh, then you wrap it in a, a salted toasted nori wrap, which is a, a toasted seaweed like you get in the sushi bars. Yeah. And then on top of that, she brushes on a little teriyaki sauce. And oh, that wow. is what she considers. And uh, frankly, it was delicious. Uh, the, her favorite masubi. There's enough flavor in there to be delicious for sure. Oh, it was it was <laughs> finishing notch. finishing with the teriyaki sauce on top probably <laughs> is the key to make it like one step it was, above. Yeah, you know, anytime you mix, and it's often in Asian cultures where you're mixing heat and and sweet at the same time. Um, anytime you mix that, it's a good combination. That sounds delicious. And then you finish it off with the spectacular macadamia butter cookies. That's right. I was golfing with the University of Washington 
golf team here while they were here uh, because I'm a big fan of them and what their program's all about. And uh, we went out for lunch afterwards. We They all had their very first Masubi, and there was lots of funny looks on their faces. Was like, <laughs> they quite... Didn't quite get it, especially the Irish coach, who had never even heard of such a thing. So that was fun to introduce them to. Uh, when he wrote it in his newsletter, he called it Wusubi, as in the UW Wusubi. <laughs> Somebody thought it was a mistake somewhere along the line. <laughs> I know, exactly. All right, coming up next. Thanks, Tom. That's a nice report on Hawaii. I love Hawaii. Oh, my God. All right, coming up next, we're going to have our famous uh, Tasty Trivia. And uh, we have an audience. We have two people in the audience who are going to be playing. We have Barbara and Blake. And uh, they're going to come up to the mic and try to kick your butt on. So get ready. All right. All right. You're listening I'm to gonna, us. On, I'm going to put uh, my speedo on to distract them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Stay with us on the House of Radio Show here on Cairo 97.3 FM. All right, welcome back in the Hot Stove Society radio show. We are in the kitchen at the Hotel Andra here and uh, having a lot of fun. We actually have uh, our next segment, Tasty Trivia, coming right up. And we have two joiners and, uh, from the audience. I'm very, very excited. A bit scared, Tom. I would, I would say that uh, we definitely need to turn on our bright side of it. We have some right, competition here. Welcome to Barbara and Blake to Rub With Love Tasty Trivia. Rub with Love is an important product to our company because it, it helps us connect to the, our customers in their kitchens. And the spice rubs help the home cook build flavor with so many different nuances. So we think you should keep a big variety of them <laughs> in your cupboard. Uh, you can look for them in your local grocery stores. Or if you're in Cincinnati... And a Cincinnati fan, you can get them at Jungle Gyms International Market, Mackey's Quality Meats, or Heinen's. And in L.A., if you're an L.A. fan, Lazy Acres or Bristol Farms or Cardiff Seaside Market. And, of course, TomDouglas.com. Of course. So today, our winner is going to get the three new rubs, Taco, Serious Pie, uh, Spice Rub, and Jerk Spice from Trey Lamont. Ooh la la. I'm very excited. So the contestants um, are each going to get five questions, uh, and the loser has to deliver the rubs to the winner. Hopefully they're sitting right Hopefully here sitting in the audience right with us. So uh, let's begin with Terry. Okay. Number one. Number one. What is the main ingredient in meringue? Egg whites. Yay! Number two. Americans double their average daily consumption of snacks on Super Bowl Sunday. Is, uh, so this is the total amount consumed in America of snacks. Is that 10,000 pounds, a million pounds, or 33 million pounds of snacks on Super Bowl Sunday? I'm going to go with the biggest number, 33 million pounds. You're on a roll today. That is correct. Oh, that is gross. No. <laughs> As you're sorry to get that one right. I'm sorry that it's true. <laughs> um, number three, how is the traditional Kahlua pig made? Well, it's wrapped in uh, leaves and it's put in the ground. And it's cooked for hours and hours. And it is the tastiest thing ever once you start pulling that meat off the bone after it comes out of those leaves. Ooh. Ooh. Correct. And by the way, there is no Kalua on it. <laughs> no. 
No. <laughs> but that would be delicious. <laughs> that probably would be good. Uh, for Valentine's Day, cards and flowers are the top purchases. Between men and women, which do you think is the majority of what purchases? Like who purchases the cards the most and who purchases? Women purchase the cards and men purchase the flowers. Yes. If you don't, and if you don't know a florist, I got one for you. <laughs> oh, Maura? No, Kathy Rotiro, oh, my your wife. wife. <laughs> she she made, her stuff is She's got gorgeous. plenty going on. She's got plenty of flowers, uh, making uh, flower arrangement for. Orders for the weekend. Yeah, dirty plug for my house. Oh, God. I like that. Uh, and your final one. Which ancient civilization used chocolate as currency? The Mayans? Of five course. for five. Yes, five Hooray. for five. Okay, hey, Wagner's. This oh is going to be tough. <clears throat> no, it's not. You not if you have bar. my questions. <laughs> A little more Super Bowl trivia. The average Super Bowl watcher consumes um, twelve hundred calories during the games. Wow. Um, what is the favorite snack? I'm going to say nachos. Yep. I wish it was potato chips. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> but it's close. Uh, it's still a point. chip. <laughs> According to 7-Eleven, what is the percent increase of sales of antacids on the day after the Super Bowl? 10%, 20%, or 50%? 50. 50. 20. Oh. <laughs> We're on a roll. We're on a roll. <laughs> Back to Hawaii. Taro steamed clean and then pounded to produce a thick, slightly purplish gray substance, which is quite ugly, is called what? Uh, boy. Yeah. Yay! Yes! Yes! Oh. Which continent are cocoa beans most commonly grown in? Yep. South America? Africa. Africa. Oh. Africa. Oh, wow. Isn't coffee the same thing, or is it... Yes. Yeah, coffee's the same thing. What, uh, back to the Super Bowl, for your final one, name uh, one two, two popular teams. snacks. <laughs> one of, name one of the two teams. <laughs> or one of the two teams. The Bengals. Yay! <laughs> and what about the snack, one of the two favorite it's, snacks? It's got to be chicken wings and nachos. <laughs> chicken wing and nachos, at least one exactly. of those two. Yes. And pizza. A lot of pizza. And Absolutely. Uh, so All right. Three and a half out of five. Not bad. Not All bad. Right. Not bad. You're in, the, you're in the game. Go Bengals. <laughs> Go, Go Bengals. Really? <laughs> We've got a Bengals fan in the house. Ah. Oh. Hi, Tom. How many? Aloha. Number one for you. How many calories are in five ounces of nacho cheese Doritos? 140. 700. What? Hey. In one ounce? <laughs> you said one ounce? Five ounces. Oh, I'm sorry. I heard one ounce. I was like, whoa, that's a lot. Okay, five ounces, 700 calories. Woo. That's a lot of calorie per yes. ounce. Well, they are light, too. Oh, so light. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, on to luau's. A side dish found at most luau's made of raw fish, seaweed, and onions is called what? Okay. Yay! Yay! What percent, uh, this is a Valentine's Day question, what percent of pet owners buy their pets a Valentine present? What are the options? About 50%. <laughs> 3%. Are you surprised? I don't know why there's such haters. Did you buy your pets yes. Valentine's present? Yes. Oh, our guests are in the 3%. <laughs> <laughs> 
more Valentine's. Sweethearts aren't at the top of the list for receiving Valentine's Day cards. Who, what group of people get the most cards, Valentine cards? School kids. They always pass them around to each other. You're close. It's the teachers. Ah. Teachers get the most yeah, Valentines, which makes my heart happy. Yeah. They certainly deserve it. Finally, Tom, which country consumes the most chocolate per person per year? Belgium. Switzerland. Switzerland. Oh, I was going to say Switzerland. That's Ooh, good. That close. Yeah, it, it, close. it counts. It's like a half a point because it's right next door. I mean, it's really... Terry Rotro is the victor. And Tom is uh, not awake in Hawaii. <laughs> Thank you for playing. All right. Aloha, you guys. Wrap up the show. All right. Thank you bye so bye. much, Tom, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. All right. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live, like we did today at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're listening to the Hot Stove Society Show on Carol Radio 97.3 FM. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Thank you, Pamela. And uh, Sean McFadden. And our editor is Sean DeTore. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of, of the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo 97.3, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to your favorite app. Thank you for listening and have a fabulous Lover's Weekend. Happy <laughs> Valentine's to all of you. Yay!